Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, everyone. I am Perry Nemiroff. This is Karen Gillen, and you're watching Collider Ladies Night. This is a big deal right now that you're on the show because you are our very first returning guest. <gasps> I am? Yeah. Wait, I remember the last time I was on here, I was singing Ladies Night and I like yes. had the urge to do it again. So I'm going to sing it Ladies <laughs> Night and the feeling's right because I'm back. I don't want to put you on the spot, but you sung it better last time because <laughs> you did a spoonerism. Do you remember what a spoonerism is? Yes, I, I don't remember exactly what it is, but I remember talking to you about this. A spoonerism is when you switch the first letter of the two words. So it would be Nady's Light. N this is Nady's Light. Yes. The Reeling's Fright. That's my jam. I like it. Very good. Very good. <laughs> I, I feel like every time we talk, we'll just have you sing that song again. And eventually we'll end up with a whole track. A whole track. I'm excited to introduce you to one of the newest additions to Ladies Night. It's our fancy dice tower. I've got eight questions here. We're going to roll the die three times. And those are the three questions we're sticking to, to start at least. Bunch of fun random things. So your first roll is a two. This one's called Never Again. What is something that you did for a film or a show that now makes you say, I'm so glad I did that, but never again? <laughs> Maybe prosthetics, rolls with prosthetics. <laughs> So I play the character Nebula in the Marvel movies. So like from Guardians of the Galaxy and then Avengers. And Never heard of her. Movies. Oh yeah, these, these small things. Um, and she, yeah, uh, so you know what? It's really cool because it really does help the character. It gets me in the zone. It just makes me feel like her. It does a lot of the job for me, but it's just such an intense experience that I feel like I would really have to think about it if I was going to do something with that level of coverage Again, like a little prosthetic is fine, but you know, the full coverage is like claustrophobia central. Totally fair. All right, we're going for number two. We've got a seven. 
Oh, this is a, a random new one I came up with. I'm call, I'm calling it boring equals good. There's, it'll make sense in a minute. So we know you from some of the coolest, biggest action franchises out there. But on your day off, what is your favorite boring hobby to do? That's a great question because I am really good at being boring. Like I am talented at being boring. Like I love just because I'm a firm believer in like rejuvenation. So I, I really like think that people need to sit and do nothing more than they currently do. Like I see some people that are just go, go, go. And I'm like, guys, just sit and have a day of absolutely nothing. Like no work whatsoever. I'm really good at that. Um, so maybe my favorite thing is to be in the bath with some salts and some oils. I don't know if that counts as boring, but I mean, yeah, every, everyone washes themselves, so it's pretty boring. <laughs> one more roll for you. I see it there. This one's a three. Oh, I'm so happy. Impressions. Based on our last conversation, I already know that you are quite skilled at doing impressions. So what is the newest one you've picked up and can you share it? Okay, I don't know if I can do this, but... You've got to guess who it is, right? Okay, yeah, I'm down. I would just like to say that I have created something that is going to change the world because that's what we do. We change the world and people think you're crazy until you do it and then you change the world with small samples of blood. What, what is this? Is this uh, Elon Musk? I feel like it's Elon Musk or, or Jeff Bezos or someone. Not far off. It's the tech world. It's uh, Elizabeth Holmes. <laughs> now my brain is going straight back to that documentary. <laughs> I just watched that documentary. That's why I'm doing that. <laughs> All right. Jumping into the meat of the interview here. I wanted to begin with your experience modeling because I read that while you were in theater school, that's when you were scouted by a modeling agency. So it was making me wonder what was going through your head when that opportunity came your way. Were you thinking this could be something new and different to try or was there any hesitation because it might derail you from the original path that you intended to be on? I think there was some hesitation just because I like, I feel like the term former model always like evokes a feeling of like you're taken less seriously or something. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I felt at the time when I was that young. And I'm like, and I'd been studying acting for, for years prior to that. And I was like, I don't want to suddenly be looked at as someone who like just found acting, you know? Um, so like, there was definitely that, but also like I did not, it wasn't like I was with this huge agency doing these huge campaigns, it was way smaller than that. Um, I definitely don't have like a crazy, cool, angular look at all. And so I was never going to do like the really great stuff. Um, but to me, it was just really a way of, it was either that or working in a pub in London uh, because I was trying to subsidize myself to become an actress while living in London. Uh, and I was like 18 or something. And so I thought, well, this is better than pulling pints. So I'm going to do it. Um, there was a bit of hesitation, but then I would always get in trouble with the agency because I would sneak off to acting auditions and then it's my modeling casting things and they'd be like, how does this make us look? And I was like, not good. And I'm sorry. Speaking of early auditions, can you give us one audition high and then maybe one early audition low and how you overcame it? Audition high? Probably either my audition for drama school in London because 
I didn't think I was going to get in. And I got in under the usual age requirement, which to me, so it felt really far-fetched. And they were like, actually, our insurance covers slightly younger, so you can come to the school. And that was like a moment that took me out of Scotland all the way down to London, to the big city. Um, so that was cool. Or my audition for Doctor Who, which completely changed my life. And it was like my big break. Um, so probably that one is the, the biggest high I've ever felt. Um, Solid places right there. I've had a few lows, to be honest. I would say that the one really early on, it was for a horror film and I forget what it was, but like, it was like for a part that was Scottish and I felt like I've got to get this. I mean, I'm Scottish. I mean, there's loads of Scottish actors, but I, for some reason thought because I'm Scottish, I'm going to get it. Uh, and, uh, and I didn't get it because I went in and I didn't know the lines as well enough as I should have. And I was looking at the script. That's not completely unusual to look at the script, but... I've never done it since this audition, <laughs> but I, uh, so I'm, I'm like reading from the, reading the lines and then the director was like, how well do you know these lines? And I was like, not well enough to look away from the script. And then it was just like this face. <laughs> I love asking about this because I didn't realize how wildly different everyone's process could be, but what is something unique to the way you work when you're trying to learn your lines? Do you have any, you know, tricks that you use in order to keep it all in your head? I mean, what I do is I... Yeah, so I developed this really intense OCD style technique. My kind of technique. Oh my gosh. I don't even know what it is yet, but I'm already into it. It's just so intense and too much. But like, so basically I will go, I'll record the other people's lines in the scene and leave a gap for mine on voice notes on my iPhone. Um, and then that's pretty usual. So I'll do that. And then I have to go through the scene 10 to 20 times the night before. But I've done a lot of work prior to that point as well. But the night before it's, probably like 20 times, uh, making sure that I know it inside out. And then I go over every single line 20 times as fast as I can. So that if I forget the lines, my muscles are going to remember the lines. And it also helps me because I'm usually acting in a different accent. And so I kind of need to get my mouth around it. Otherwise, I'll be struggling slightly if I don't like know the sounds inside out. So it sort of forced me to work that hard to work in a different accent. So it's like 20 times uh, as fast as I can, like we're talking as as fast as humanly possible. And then in the morning of the audition or the day of the audition, I just don't look at it at all or think about it. I just walk into the room, uh, don't look at it before, don't look at it when I'm looking in the waiting and when I'm in the waiting room, nothing. Just walk in and trust yourself. Don't have the script with you. And just walk it. <laughs> It's it's funny you bring up accents because to prep for this, I'll talk to my Collider colleagues and someone brought up the fact that your American accent, at least from our untrained ears and that perspective, <laughs> it is flawless. Is that just something that you happen to pick up really quickly or did that take some real work? Um, I've always been able to do it fairly well because I've, I've just watched so much American TV shows growing up, like Friends and stuff. Like, So it was always there, but it wasn't as good as it is now. Since I moved here, just being immersed in it was better. And then also it's the it's the prep the night before. So it's like every sound is, is figured out prior to saying it or days before saying it. I'm very, very impressed. I could never even do an accent if I tried. Let's talk a little bit about Doctor Who and specifically the fact that there are so many actors out there who get these massive career launching opportunities from, let's say, you know, a show or a movie on the level of a Doctor Who. But then what happens is 
they're maybe not able to capitalize it and keep that momentum going, or two, they're not able to create a range of work and they wind up getting boxed into what they did so well on that hot show. That is not the case for you, though. You have momentum and there is so much range on your resume. So after the success of Doctor Who, what was the key in terms of your your decision-making process when you took on new projects that you think contributed to that? That's a great question. I don't know. I don't know if I was like actively seeking. I mean, of course I was seeking range because I think we all want to like challenge ourselves and stuff, but like I was just taking what was coming to me also. (laughs) So it's like, I mean, I did move to America after Doctor Who and maybe that was somewhat of a fresh start. Um, And I think, you know, and I did sort of exist in the sci-fi space beyond Doctor Who. So there is kind of like, you can see once you get into a genre, you tend to get other offers in the same genre. Um, And then I think that kind of maybe like led me to Marvel and then Marvel kind of led me to Jumanji, which was not sci-fi, but it was slightly action. So you could see like the thread almost and that turned into more comedy. And then and then I got offered, you know, some comedies and stuff like that. So um, so. So yeah, I think I've just been lucky um, to get to do that. But also I've like, I've definitely like said no to things that I don't think move me in the direction that I don't want to go in. I'm a firm believer in, in doing that. With that in mind, what is, you don't have to name a specific thing, but what is like either maybe a genre or a quality in a character that made you think like, no, that's that's not what I want right now. And on the other hand, what is something that you have yet to do that you are still itching to sink your teeth into? I think whenever I read a role that's kind of like the wife, <laughs> it's hard to get very excited about them if they don't, if they aren't given like one element to really grab onto. Because there's like these these roles that are just like are essentially like come back to me, be safe, be safe out there. I'm gonna hold down the fort while you come back. <laughs> and it's like that old chestnut. And like people like they're those roles are hard because there's not anything to grab onto. Almost, I would probably have a harder time with that than a really meaty role. Um, so I tend to stay clear of those um, just because I don't think I can do a very good job with it. Um, that's that's the main reason. It's a, a reasonable concern to have, but if that were the case, it wouldn't be your fault. Yeah, we can just blame <laughs> the character or the writing. Um, but yeah, so those roles I, I sort of tend to maybe stay clear of. Um, and what have I not done? I think I've not done something that's purely in the dramatic space, um, which is something I would love to try, like something that's not genre or, or comedy. It's more or action. It's it's more like just straight acting. I would love to play around in that area um, see what comes out of it. I wouldn't mind seeing that. Speaking of playing around, Back to when you're first starting out in the industry. I know at that point in a career, it can be pretty nerve-wracking to to speak up and maybe say to a director, you know, I think my character would do this this way. Do you remember the very first time that you kind of built up the courage and confidence to do something like that? Yeah, I remember starting out and thinking that you weren't allowed to do that. Um, and then I think when you learn that you are and that you should is when you start to, it's a little bit of a superpower, I think, when you realize like that you can control you are the expert in the field and you've been hired by people to be that um and so it's like it's nice to do that and I think people actually want that from you too like I don't think a director just purely wants you to follow their lead I think they're looking for someone who can bring something to it that they wouldn't have thought of um 
and just give them some options in the edit. Uh, but I think I learned that probably on Doctor Who because what happens on television is you are the consistent factor and then the directors change over all the time. And so there comes a point where they're going, would your character do this? And they're asking you. And so from a young age, I sort of learned that, oh, I know a little bit more about this than you do, this particular character. Jumping into working with a film director now. I'm just, I'm obsessed with Mike Flanagan and I love Oculus. I think he's the greatest. I think that movie needs to be seen more than it even has been. What is something about him that maybe makes him a one of a kind director? Something that he brings to a set that you wish you saw more out there? work with Mike Flanagan again because I think I worked with him really early on in his career like it was his first like he'd made one movie Absentia but that was more like so low budget that like the actors were holding the boom and stuff so it was like it wasn't like a funded by a studio or anything like that and so Oculus the one that I was in was his first sort of you know studio movie and so I think he was figuring out his style but he was already amazing because look at the product of the movie but like I would love to see like how he's evolved as a director on set. He just gave us a lot of freedom with the acting. And I think he just had a full editor brain like he because that's where he came from editing. So he already knew where he was going to cut. I think the whole thing was edited in his head already. Um, and he just sort of really knew what he needed from us. Do you take any of that kind of mentality to your own uh, films as a director? Yeah, totally. Now that I've seen like how intense people think about this thing before they shoot it and you can not you don't have to do that you can sort of find it as you go or you could be the person that's already planned everything out um while still allowing yourself to discover things in the moment and that's what i want to be so i definitely um so for my movie i like storyboarded the whole movie myself and then handed it over to a storyboard artist because my drawings were terrible <laughs> but like at least in my head i essentially like watched the whole film which was a cool experience you should share those drawings on instagram <laughs> not pretty <laughs> All right. Talking about some more directors that you've worked with. You you mentioned that on TV, you work with a whole variety of directors on one character. That doesn't happen as much in film, but it did happen for you with Nebula. And yeah. you work with some incredible people, James Gunn, the Russo brothers, and now Taika Waititi. Yeah. I feel like this might be a big question to ask, but is there anything you were able to tap into with Nebula that's specific to each one of those directors, a quality of hers that you only pulled out because of their way of working as an actor's director? That's really interesting. I mean, I think a lot of the reason that Nebula is the way she is is because of James Gunn. I mean, he's the sort of creator of her, and I think he really connected with the character personally. Um, and so, like, I remember when we would do, like, scenes between me and Gamora, he'd be, like, crying in the rehearsals and stuff. He's, like, so invested... So it's largely down to him, I would say. Um, and then it was, it was, and then I worked with the Russo brothers after that. And it, I think we all in the Guardians cast were like, ah, oh my gosh, we're going off and we're going to do this character without James. How are we going to cope? <laughs> are we going to still know how to do this? Um, but the Russos were amazing. And they kind of just really allowed us to bring our knowledge of the characters to it. They were so receptive to it. I would sort of be able to say to the Russos, like, I feel like, you know, Thanos is, uh, is in the scene, like Nebula would be feeling very emotional right now if her father is there. And they're like, yep, yep. And then they like completely like use that and it's completely in the movie, which was really nice. And also Joe Russo played Thanos with me. So I was acting with the director, which was amazing because he um, really was in the scene with me. And so he was seeing things that were happening between us that I don't think he would see from the outside. And so he was kind of like, oh, I know how to shoot this because this is what's happening. Uh, so that was a really cool experience. And then Taika 
really brought out the bonkers side. I mean, Nebula is going to be, I think everyone is just really, really funny and bonkers and wild. So she's going to get a little opportunity to, I guess, I guess play and maybe tap into some levity this time around. I don't know if it's personal levity. Like, I don't think she's finding herself funny or being funny, but in her seriousness, I think we will find her funny. And they're just the pure aggression that we've tapped into. <laughs> I, I can definitely picture that. Before I leave the guardians of it all, I'm going to repeat one question that I asked you back in December 2019. Mm. Do you know when you're starting to shoot on Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3? We do. We do. May or may not be this year. It <laughs> might be, though. It is. It's not. I don't know. It feels like this year. I'm pretty sure someone's confirmed that it's this year. Oh, great. Then it is this year. <laughs> at the very least. Um, have you started preparing at all, you know, in terms of training and getting ready ready for that kind of physicality again? Not yet, but I'll probably kick into overdrive at some point soon. I know that I have like some body casts that need to be made at some point because that's what happens. They take a picture of us standing there in a weird pose from every single angle and then they make mannequins of our bodies to do costume fittings on <laughs> Have you ever wanted to do the whole head cast thing? Mm -hmm. I have another one coming up. Is is that a, like, are you okay with no, something like that? Not a candidate for, for that. I, I, the claustrophobia that I experience is not good for that. So I think they'll have to do it in like sections. I think they would prefer to do it all in one. Obviously it's more seamless, but I, I think me freaking out is not fun for anyone. <laughs> that process fascinates me to no end. Um, what about the Guardians holiday special? Have you read the script for that one yet? I haven't. No, I don't know much about that one. I can't wait for that. It's just the the idea of thinking of what a traditional holiday special is and then bringing James Gunn's sensibilities to something like that and the Guardians. It just seems like the perfect mixture and something that we've never tapped into in the MCU. I know. I'm like so happy to see him just like let loose on something like that. Um, I have a feeling it's going to be really, really funny. I feel like the comedy is going to be there. I would very much believe that. Backing up a little bit in the MCU, can you talk us through finding out about Nebula's role in Endgame? Because if you had told me back in 2014 that this, you know, henchwoman type character was going to go on to become pretty much one of the most heroic characters in that movie, I, I don't know if I would have believed you. So what was it like finding out what her next step in this franchise was going to be? I would not have believed it either. I mean, I signed on thinking it was eight days of filming and then I died. And then I find myself <laughs> right at the heart of Endgame, which was so wild and amazing. Um, but finding that out was really amazing. I think it just sort of like no one sat me down and told me. I just saw that I had a really busy schedule and I was like, well, what's going on? And then Kevin Feige passed me and he was like, you've got loads to do. <laughs> and I was like, thank you so much. <laughs> So, so in general, what is it like? You sign on for Guardians, and I assume you sign on for multiple films, but you have no clue what the roadmap is going forward. And then are you just sitting and waiting by the phone until they say, hey, it's time. We need you to do this, this, and this? Yeah. Um, yeah, basically. Um, you just sort of get a phone call out of the blue, like, oh, they're, they're, they want you in this movie. And then you're like, yes, brilliant. And then thinking it might be a cameo. And then you learn that it's like 50 days of filming. And I'm like, that's not a cameo. <laughs> um, so yeah, you just you just like piece together the information because I never got a full script the whole time. So I didn't like read the whole thing. I only had my own pages. Of all of those phone calls you received, what got the most, you know, like, what reaction from you where you just couldn't believe whatever they had told you you were doing? It was probably like the size of the role in Endgame and, and just the character development I was going to get. Like, it's just 
it's like the it's like felt like I hit the jackpot or something like with this part that I loved in Guardians and I loved playing it I just had no and I wanted to explore it more and James Gunn had sort of hinted at doing that but I you know you never know um but to find out that she was going to get so much story um and and just got I was going to get to flesh her out like that in the biggest movie of all time it's just like my, my brain even can't comprehend it I st- I don't know how many times I've seen the movie and I still can't comprehend everything that it gave us Still blown away. They did such a good job on that. They really did. So I know you probably can't tell us a thing about what Nebula's up to in Thor Love and Thunder, but to kind of bridge the gap here, just to tee it up a little, can you tell us about Nebula's headspace at the end of Endgame? In particular, maybe when she's standing there at Tony Stark's funeral. How does everything that she's been through make her feel about the people around her and how does it change how she pictures life for herself going forward? Yeah, it's really, I think Nebula, we left Nebula in a really interesting place where she, you know, experienced the death of her father, but also of her abuser, essentially, like the person that made her life a living hell. And so those feelings are really conflicting. I think for her, she's feeling a sense of relief that she, you know, the catharsis of it all, but she's also probably feeling a sense of loss to a father figure because these relationships can be really, really complicated where even though they're treating you so badly, you can still be desperate for approval and love from that type of figure in your life. And so for her, I think it's both, um, which I feel like they really captured in the music for Nebula in that movie. I'm just remembering like, they did this like really twisted swoony music when she was looking at Thanos and I was like, oh, yes, you get it. You totally get it. <laughs> Thank you, composers. <laughs> so who do you think that she, I mean, that this is probably getting a little too far now, admittedly, but who do you think she would lean on or turn to in order to kind of, you know, fill that complicated place in her heart? I would like to see her turn to her sister to try and really mend that relationship and get them to a healthier place i don't know if they will but i would personally like to see that that would be the best outcome is deal with the bad guy and then fix this between them i'm very much rooting for that that is one of my favorite connections in all of the mcu so i want to see good things for the two of them before i get into gunpowder milkshake i can't not ask about one other major franchise you're a part of jumanji which like i'm just more and more obsessed with every single day so i have to ask you what what's up with the new movie is it is it something that is kind of you know one of the next things up for you or is it still in that development phase I actually don't know anything about the next one. Nobody has spoken to me. So I think it's going to, I don't know. I I assume they'll make one and I don't know how they're going to tackle that. But I just, I hope they make another one because it's so much fun. How can you say you don't know when we figured it out the last time we spoke? I mean, the thing is, Jumanji 4 is going to be just you playing all four roles. That's right. Okay, well, now we have figured it out. I'll talk to the studio. We don't need to work around anyone's schedule because it's only me in the movie. I would genuinely love to see that. <laughs> All right. Gunpowder Milkshake. I know that you were cast in this movie first. So what was it like just sitting there watching all of those roles filled around you? Because this this cast is just something else. I can't even imagine. Yeah, it was so wild. Like I signed up to the movie and I was so excited about the movie. And then I just hear like woman after woman joining the cast and I'm like, her? Really? We're getting her? Add her? Add her? Like it just, I 
I was subtly starstruck from start to finish in that movie, just trying to play it cool and not succeeding. Of that whole ensemble, everyone's great, but is there anyone that you were kind of geeking out over the most because you were a big fan of a specific movie or show they did? I feel like I was geeking out a little bit over Carla Gugino because you'll appreciate this, the Flanagan stuff. Like her, she, she was in Gerald's Game, his movie, and I thought she was like so amazing in that movie. And like, that would have been such a demanding role. And so I was like, oh my God, I wanted to like talk to her about it. But then I also wanted to play it cool. <laughs> I don't blame you. She's so good in that. And yeah. have you seen uh, Bly Manor and Hill House? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I can't get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, how about Chloe? Because I, I feel like my brain is processing this like six degrees of Kevin Bacon, and I don't think this is really how the industry always works. But did Dave Batista have anything to do with connecting the dots from My Spy to Gunpowder Milkshake for her? Actually, no. Funnily enough, she auditioned for the role, as did a million other little girls who were all amazing. And I was lucky enough to go into the auditions for the final few actresses, and Chloe was one of them. And I didn't realize that she had worked with Batista until afterwards, but I uh, sat in and read with the girls and she was unbelievable. Like where I, I, I literally stood up after she left. I was like, this is a no brainer. <laughs> she really is something else. She's so talented. I can't wait to see her in more things. Machine, she's such a prankster in real life. Like she's a little really? mean when she's acting. And then as soon as the cameras are off, she is like the really typical like mischievous kid, which is really nice to see. In that case, most memorable prank that she pulled on this set. I have a video of her. I think she shot it or I shot it. I don't know. But she was telling me that there was rats in a car that we were filming in. And, and she said it so believably that I, I thought there was. And you could see me go through like a, a state of slight shock and panic. <laughs> and I felt it on my leg. And it was just too believable. It really got me. I feel like I'm just one of the most gullible people in the world. Someone would say that to me and I would believe, like, I wouldn't even think twice about it. I would just believe them. (laughs) All right. I don't know if the universe works quite like this, but just to play around with the concept, let's say Sam grows up and she becomes the head of the library in a future film. If you could cast any two past co-stars in those other two roles to fill out your trio, who would you pick and why? Oh, um, to work in my library and be assassins with me. I'm going to choose Matt Smith from Doctor Who because he's just one of my favorite actors. Like, I think he's so good. I mean, I know he's my friend, but like separate to that, he's so good. <laughs> um, and I would say also, who else have I worked with? Who else have I worked with? Maybe I'll take Palm Clementine F, Mantis, Mantis from Guardians of the Galaxy. That'd be fun. Well, now I need this movie, too. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) So I know you're no stranger to stunt-heavy films, but it does feel like this is a very unique fighting style. So what is something that was a new challenge for you in the stunt sector that you hadn't even done at all in, let's say, Jumanji, MCU movies, or beyond? I I feel like with each movie, I've gotten gradually better at fighting and I've now graduated to like a full hardcore action movie. And it was a different ball game because it wasn't just like one or two fight sequences. It was like the whole movie. And so it was a huge challenge. And I think the first sequence section of the first fight sequence that I do in the movie, the director was like, I want it to be just actors, no stunt doubles, all one take. Uh, and a wide shot so you can see everything so there's like nowhere to hide because this new style of filming action sequences is super handheld cut really quickly so it's hard to take in exactly what they're doing 
apart from John Wick, they don't do that, but everybody else does. <laughs> and so they were like, oh, wow. So we really have to deliver the energy and everything has to be precise. And so that was a huge challenge for me to fight three guys with a suitcase is what I was doing. Is there any particular move that came supernaturally to you? And you're like, oh my God, I was meant to do this. And then on the other hand, is there anything that just took so much rehearsal and prep until you finally nailed it? I think that first sequence took so much prep and then we finally got there, but it was like nerve wracking because even on the day we were like, me and the other actors are looking at each other like we've got to get this perfect take. <laughs> They're about to show action and we're just like, okay, let's do it. Um, so that was a fun challenge, but a challenge. Um, and then the thing that weirdly came naturally to me was um, there's a really interesting fight sequence in the movie where I use the, I lose the use of some limbs. And I won't give too much away, but that came weirdly naturally to me. <laughs> I think it's because I look like an out-of-control Muppet. I mean, that's that's a pretty accurate description, and it's it's appropriate, too. I feel like it doesn't surprise me, because lately I've seen your comedy chops more and more, so the fact that you can nail that kind of physicality, it just, like, it makes sense. Oh, thank you. I mean, thank you. <laughs> thank you for compliment. I mean, it's a compliment, I swear. <laughs> All right. Let's get into game number two here. We're going to get a little creative with this one. All right. So Nebula has the power to create and live in her own TV show like Wanda does in WandaVision. Okay. What TV show does she pick and who does she play in it? She's in Friends. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and she's just like the weird quiet one that has no lines, who just sits there the whole time. All I'm picturing now is... Like all of the the regular cast hanging out in the living room, and she's yeah. just like in a, in like a door crack in the corner, like you could just barely see her. Yeah, <laughs> she's well, just she cracks a joke. She just goes, "Okay, I'm feeling this so far." You can take three other MCU characters with you and cast them in Friends. Who are you taking, and who are they playing? Great question. I'm going to bring Drax. Imagine Drax. I, I imagine Drax finding Chandler's jokes, the funniest things he's ever heard. So it's just constant, like, roaring laughter from Drax. Like, ah, you have a third nipple. <laughs> um, who else can I take? I will take uh, Thor. <laughs> this is getting better and better. I don't know why. He just Thor, Thor brings the party. Yeah, Thor can, yeah okay, because third party is now. Yes. Because he, he's like a fun Thor. Um, yeah, so he brings the party and the lightning and stuff. And um, who else? Gwyneth Paltrow's character? I don't know why. Pepper Pepper could come. I mean, I feel like in this mix, we might need someone to, you know, keep order and keep everyone, you know, behaving yeah. Yeah, to exactly. a reasonable extent. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking Pepper. All right. So we got we got three co-stars for you. Now we obviously have to cast the big bad. Mm. Who is the villain of Nebula's friends? Who is the villain? Like, is that another person from the MCU type thing? Yes. It doesn't even have to be a villain from the MCU. It could yeah. be another character with with a, you know an antagonistic vibe to them. It's Captain America, right? Because Captain America is the ultimate good guy. And we need to see that dark side because everybody's got one. Even you, Captain America. To round this show out now, what would be the viral fan theory that turned out to be completely wrong? 
oh, right. So there's a viral fan, fan theory about the Friends Avengers show. Yes. Uh, the, vi- the viral theory is that Captain America comes in and kills half of all the cast. Like, because he's copied Thanos. Because Thanos was like, a, he's a secret fan of Thanos. Like, that's his hero. And so he's he like, Thanos is gone, but let me just go ahead and do this as an homage to Thanos. And then he gets rid of half the cast and then everybody's gone and nobody does anything about it. <laughs> Wait, but this is just a theory, right? Kat's yeah. not actually doing this. No, it's not happened in the actual show. I feel like even as a theory that was going to wind up being wrong in a completely fake show that we just made up, it was like very jarring to hear that. You were like, no, that's not real, right? (laughs) All right. We end ladies night with the same question. Mm -hmm. And that question is, can you name someone who you think is changing this industry for the better? Ooh, name someone who's changing this industry for the better. I feel like I feel like Brie Larson and Tessa Thompson are doing a pretty good job of like raising awareness to things that need to be um, talked about more. Uh, just on the, their use of social media, I, I appreciate that, and I think they're bringing up lots of topics. And you know, they're both extremely well-known actresses in huge franchises, and they're using their platforms for good things. Zoe Saldana too. And, and uh, Chris Evans, uh, he's tackling the whole thing of fake news, which is an incredible use of, of his position. I like all those shout outs there. How do, how do we get the rest of them in your friend show now? Yeah, maybe they'll hear this and think, oh, thanks, Aaron. Yeah, we'll join it. I, I genuinely would love to see an MCU parody of Friends. <laughs> With the laughter track. <laughs> why, why not? Why not? Yeah. WandaVision teed it up. Anything's possible now. Yes. Karen, thank you so much for joining us again for Collider Ladies Night for this momentous occasion of a returning guest. Returning guest. I appreciate it. And I have to let everyone out there know Gunpowder Milkshake is available on Netflix. You can stream it on the 14th. Check it out. It's a blast. Has an incredible ensemble led by Karen Gillen. Huge congratulations to you. And thanks again for spending some time with us. Nice to see you. 